Hey, this is Afia Letham, creator of the Frame Your Day app, helping you walk out every day in victory. I'm proud to be a sponsor of Ramsey Unleash, going beyond borders. Hi. This is Zakia Ringgold from NaturalSoapByZakia.com, proud sponsors of the Ramsey Unleashed Going Beyond Borders podcast. Welcome to another edition to Ramsey Unleashed Going Beyond Borders. When my guest sorts his lighting out, um, <laughs> well, okay, uh, I just hit the go live button. He's decided to play with his light. <laughs> so we are live. <laughs> so, as I just about, to, so we are live uh, on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Uh, Ramsey Unleashed Going Beyond Borders podcast with my guest Philip Tanzer. So I've been trying to get an interview Philip for a while actually, but I think it's just been an opportunity knocks has not really kind of come a, happened because I've been really busy with work and then he's been busy and it's been like kind of passing ships in the night. And uh, it's just been one of these things, you know. So obviously, well, that's just uh, to people's comments if they do decide to comment in our interview. But for those who are not tuned in, who, who will be watching us or catch us live, it's, uh, this is Ramsey and Lee's going to be on Borders podcast. And I'm basically I've not done one for a while. And I thought, well, take the opportunity of this is to go for it. Sometimes you're just going to do it off the cuff completely. But my guest, Philip, has a great story, and let's just find out a bit about them. So welcome, Philip, and thank you for coming on the Ramsey and Lee's going to be on Borders podcast. How are you doing? <laughs> My pleasure to be here on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, fire away. Ask me what you want to know. <laughs> well, let's find out. Let's, I usually, for those who are watching this, I usually do a bit of a kind of beginning, middle, end, just to find out where people are. Um, just a bit about the guest. It's not about me. It's about the guest. That's the whole point. And it's take, telling their story and their journey to challenge you out there. So, Philip, let's just start at the beginning. Who's Philip Tanzer? Uh, tell us about your life growing up, education, starting where you're, you're born, basically. Tell us about that. That's funny. Today, I a friend of mine, he asked me to write a short bio about myself. And he said, uh, and don't, don't worry, it can be controversial. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so my whole life is controversial and, uh, and a lot of... Uh, ups and downs or or changes in direction so i'm my name is philip tanser i'm uh 43 years old almost 44 years old i'm originally from germany um so i was born in pforzheim which is close to stuttgart in the south of germany my dad he is from east germany he actually jumped from a from a ship to escape communist germany and my mom is from west germany <coughs> And yeah, I grew up in a in a small town, I would say, um, fairly protected. I've got a brother two years older than me. My dad's a dentist, and I would say we grew up upper middle class. Um, we were doing fine. We were doing well. My um, my mom unfortunately left the family when I was about ten years old, and she left the family to be with a South African weapon dealer. Uh, so so that's when our, that's when our life 
turned an, a little turned a little bit into a crime story. I mean, there wasn't a lot of crime going on, but my grandparents, my mom's parents, she they tried to separate her my mom from her new partner so sending the police after him and stuff like that so that's let's say that part of my life was interesting um and yeah and even though of course we didn't know everything that was going on um we knew quite a bit of what was going on and we lived with my father and who did a good job i i I was never well back then as a kid i was not very close to my father we didn't have a lot in common but he was a good father not not a great dad but a good father and um i was still very close to my mom emotionally and she lived in south africa at that time and when i was 16 years old my mom decided or she she yeah she decided to leave her second partner her second husband and he couldn't deal with that because he he was working for the old regime for the apartheid regime and he by this point he had already lost everything because the regime had changed he was a weapons dealer and leader of a killer commando he wasn't doing that anymore he had no money left he was literally living off my my dad's money in many ways and now his wife was about to leave him as well for very good reasons. I mean, he was an asshole. Um, and uh, then he shot her. And so your dad so shot. So my, like- not my dad. So her, my mom's second husband shot my mom, and then he shot himself. Good grief! So that was when I was sixteen. Um, at the same time, uh, try, I'm trying to run through. All the no, craziness. I was never n- normal in in many ways. I would say I right. always like. I didn't like it. I didn't like it when people expected me to conform. So I don't have a problem with conforming, but I don't like it when people expect me to conform. And I started to. Back, the, back in the days, Marilyn Manson was very big, and I started dressing like a mix of my the three artists that I liked the most, and that was Alice Cooper, Prince, and Marilyn Manson. So that's how I looked. Uh, weird black dresses and high heels at times and stuff like that. And I pursued a career as a makeup artist and hairdresser at the time. <clears throat> so, um, so, hi, Jacqueline. Nice to have you as a, uh, as a guest. <laughs> Jacqueline McKeever is in Florida, viewing uh, all the way from America. Um, yeah, so just, so so basically you're... Oh, I'm not so finished. I know, no, I'm not, not finished. I'm just, let me, let me just, uh, just I, I'm going to just back a little bit because you said that you've gone from a crime story to... <laughs> This is this is crumbs. Let, let, let me let me no, let me I'll run let through carry it real on. quick, okay. because, because no, otherwise okay. people look lose track. So I was running around like Marilyn Manson. Um, I also was more attracted to men than I was attracted to women, right. though I did not call myself gay. I said I'm asexual with a tendency towards men, and already at that time, people kept pushing this oh so you're gay and i was like no 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 i'm i'm 
I haven't made up my mind yet. Oh, you have to be proud of it. You have to come out. And so there was a strong push towards identifying as gay or yeah, wearing a wearing a badge or something like that. And um, I was I was a vegetarian at the time. I didn't smoke, didn't drink, never took drugs, uh, and was a pacifist, a, a very strong pacifist. And in Germany, you have to go to the military unless you are a pacifist. And so for me, it would have been very easy to get out of it and say, oh, I'm, I'm doing civil service. But I didn't want to because I wanted to see if my prejudice towards the military and were justified. And I wanted to see if they would try to break me because of the way I looked, because I was attracted to men. And I wanted to see if I would survive. And then I joined the military. And after three weeks, my lieutenant asked me if I wanted to become a trainer in the military. And I was like, I, I, I'm a pacifist. I'm against the military. And he said, every German soldier should be a pacifist because we're there to protect peace. And that you're against the military, well, that's your right. Uh, please don't promote that. But as long as you're doing as good a job as you're doing already, we're fine. And in the end, I stayed in the military for three years. Um, after I left the military, I tried to become a makeup artist but the the art college or university didn't accept me because of the way I looked, because I looked like Marilyn Manson, which was, funny enough, not a problem in the military. So that's when I really learned that the people that talk about tolerance all the time, artists, they are usually quite intolerant, where normal people, all they care about is that you're a good guy and that you do a good job. After that, sorry, sorry, I know it's a lot. I know it's a I'll lot. Pause you just, like, just well, kind okay. of before you go, uh, just to, to everyone who's watching around the world, uh, just to say, how old were you when you, this, you, you said you're 16, so when did you join the army? 16, 18? 18, roughly, yeah, 17, 18. Okay, so this all, and how you so basically when you left, when you're 20, around about 21, 22? 21, 22, yeah. Okay, roughly. so you, you kind of went back to your sort of, rock star look kind of goth yeah. look after you when you came, came left the army yeah yeah exactly hi hi so, tammy and hi eugene by the way to people here watching uh so uh, what so when you left basically what uh, was the net well you've left the army did you did you mean to army does, does discipline you does teach you a lot of things okay you're against it but you were doing a good job and you were promoted to, to train folk. So now leaving the army, I mean, a lot of people, where did your life go from there? So I actually left the army a little bit early, a couple of months early, because mm -hmm. I, I've always been a very spiritual person, and I felt a calling that um, I should go into the woods baref barefoot and just in white clothes and and live in the forest for a couple of months so i i tried that which was a successful failure it was <laughs> it was incredibly cold and i learned a lot about uh my limitations and uh yeah i i had some of these smaller experiences where i did stupid things um 
and uh, but I appreciate these experiences because I, I I usually figured out that I was stupid very very fast, and I don't have a problem admitting when I do something stupid. So that's good. So obviously, um, I was going to ask about obviously your education. I know you it sounds like well obviously with what you've been through and when you, with your your parents. What was you got just a backtrack in your education? Did you go? You you obviously lived in a decent life lifestyle and uh, upper middle class. But was your education uh, school, college, university, or anything? Did you do any of that? So in Germany, we have a slightly different structure. First, we have a primary school, and then depending on how well you're doing in primary school, then you are being sent to one of three or four different schools. If um, So there's a school for people that are, let's say, um, challenged, that, that have learning difficulties. That's the lowest uh, one of these schools, so to speak, or the most specialized one of these schools. And then you have one for the kids that didn't do well in school, one for the kids that did mediocre, and one for the kids that did very well in primary school. And I did very well, so I was sent to the highest level of education. But I did struggle a little bit. My brother was much better in school. I was very good at art and uh, religion, like we had religion in school. So there were some topics that I was good in, but I would say overall it was slightly overwhelming for me and my dad actually encouraged me to leave school at the age of 16 and pursue my career wish of becoming a makeup artist which i'm I'm actually thankful for okay so leading so doing so where did your makeup artist career take you uh well i so i was working in a i was working in a theater in my hometown for a while um that was yeah roughly during the same time when i became a hairdresser so i did did the two things uh parallel and it was great it was it was a good time but that was something like an apprenticeship it wasn't a proper apprenticeship but something like an apprenticeship now but i wanted to study it in a university but the university obviously didn't take me because of the way I looked, uh, which really shocked me. And that university was in the east of Germany, where my father's originally from. So by that time, obviously, the east was liberated. It wasn't communist Germany Germany anymore, but you could still feel a difference um, between the two sides. I actually prefer the east Germany to west Germany in, in some regards. And... Even though I wasn't accepted in the art school, I did move to Dresden and I lived the next, I think, 15 years there before I moved to Scotland eventually. And while I was in Dresden, I um, became very involved in the in the gay community, in the LGBT community. And because of the way I looked, like I was wear, dressed in leather most of the time and looked quite punk and in the normal gay community, people are very judgmental, I would say. And I didn't fit in. And I started going into the leather and fetish community, even though I didn't actually have any sexuality. I didn't, I didn't have sex with people. Um, but I fitted better into that scene, so to speak. And because people were much older, 
they were actually better to talk to. So sometimes I would um, sit in a leather bar or a sex club at the bar and talk to people about <laughs> you politics. Sat a, you sat in a leather bar. <laughs> yeah, and, and I would be talking to people about religion, God, um, education, politics, um, while other stuff was going on in the bar dark room, so to speak. And I... I saw a magazine, uh, like a gay fetish magazine, and something was advertised there, a competition to become German Mr. Leather, which is the official representative of the gay leather and fetish community. And I, I felt a calling. I, some, something inside told me, you have to do that. You, you should apply for that. And I did. And I won for some reason, and I became the youngest um, Mr. Leather, I think worldwide. I, I was the youngest uh, Mr. Leather at, at that time. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I saw a lot of negative things in the gay community and in the leather community. A lot of people taking drugs, a lot of people being very promiscuous, um, STDs, loneliness, uh, mental health problems, suicide. And I thought if I would become German Mr. Leather, I, I had a, a platform where I could actually like highlight some of these issues. And I did. I, I worked incredibly hard for, for a year writing columns and trying to highlight these issues. But in the end, I was I did ha suffer from burnout because I was at a different party every weekend, handing out condoms and telling people to stay safe and stuff like that. And after a while, it it does take its toll, and it it did. And I I I didn't dislike the community at that time because I I met really really nice people and. I had a lot of support, but I had to distance myself for my own well-being, both physical and mental well-being. So I, I lived a very quiet, rather quiet life for the most part. I became a um, like independent rock and alternative rock DJ in Dresden. Didn't make money with that, of course, um, but I. Yeah, I, that's how I spent most of my times. That's how I met most of my friends. And they're still my friends from the rock scene, so to speak. And it was a it was a family. And I lived in a little garden house outside of Dresden. And then I desperately needed money because I ran out of the money that I made in the military. And at the same time, I was approached if I wanted to work in the porn industry. And now it's very important to say that at that time I was around 27, 28, something like that. Uh, no, 29, probably. And up to that point, I had almost no sec sexual relations to anybody. I could feel that a relationship with a man didn't make any sense to me. I was physically attracted to men, but I didn't see the point in having a relationship with a man because it felt like too much of the same. I'm a guy, and I thought, well, there's just another guy. There's nothing to 
nothing that person can really bring to the table um, that I need. But hey, why, I, why, just before, why did I mean, what? Why did you choose that road? Why not just your normal adult industry with females? Well, first of all, I wasn't attracted. I wasn't attracted to women. I tried. I was in very short relationships with women when I was eighteen. I tried that, and it felt physically right, but I didn't feel um, too connected, and I wasn't deeply attracted. I would say. I mean, it worked, but I wasn't very, very attracted. <clears throat> and with men, when I started having experiences with men it felt it, it felt uh, the only thing i can say is it felt horny so so i i was definitely physically attracted to men i didn't connect deeply so there was no deep connection but there was i would say um sexual attraction and at the age of 27 i started to relax in well let's say relax in regards to sexuality and i started to have sexual contact with guys predominantly one night stands and stuff like that so very superficial things and but i was able to 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 watch these situations so i i while it happened i was like huh that's not very fulfilling is it and so i i i i checked how i did how i felt in these situations and there were some situations that felt good and where i felt a connection i would say 85 90 percent of the situations were completely meaningless and then maybe five five percent ten percent were bad and then five percent maybe were good and yeah, as I said, I ran out of money and then I was approached by somebody in the porn industry and I decided to start working as a porn actor. Uh, but I wanted to actually bring something positive to the porn industry because I didn't have a very high opinion of porn. And I thought, oh, there should be more connection, more personal connection in the movies. Maybe I'm, I can bring that to it. And I think I succeeded a couple of times, but overall, it's a big industry. I, I actually, I really loved the people that I was working with, not the other actors, uh, but the people behind the camera. I think they were very, very good, nice people. I, I liked working with them, but it's also a very dark place. And I did see quite a few people going <clears throat> downhill. And then I stopped working in the industry. And at the age of 32, I so what, decided... Before you, I decided, we, yeah. We'll have a pause there a second. Just, I'm interviewing Philip Tanzer, for those who are watching or listening uh, on the podcast. Uh, he's originally from Germany, but he's now residing in Scotland. Uh, we're hearing his story and how what he's been through from obviously living in obviously living in Germany at the time when it was East and West Germany, and obviously hearing that his mother had, was shot by a, an ex-partner, uh, and the, and just him how he's gone into where he is from being an army to sort of being a sort of goth-like character through his music tastes and just in obviously what he's led to and where he is well, from being obviously dabbling into the porn industry. And how, But let's 
when you said people went downhill, when you were seeing the dark side of it, what to explain, elaborate on the dark side? What were you actually seeing? Well, well, a, a lot of people in the gay community and especially in the sex work community or in, in the area of sex work um, take drugs. Then a lot of people, besides doing porn, they also do sex work on the side. Not all of them, but many of them. Uh, so prostitution and that definitely, it, you sell parts of your soul, whether you notice it at that point or not uh, you give pieces of yourself away and then there's also for me it was very easy because i lived as i said i lived in a small garden house in germany and i just flew over to america for a week worked there um, and flew back to my little garden house which was very grounding but for the other guys they lived in la san francisco new york so they were permanently surrounded by the gay lifestyle and they were rather famous yeah mental health problems drug problems promiscuity i i was protected from that because as i said i never did drugs i always practiced safe sex um so i was i was quite protected from all of these things and even in regards to like giving away pieces of your soul for the most part i was protected there were some some situations where I think I was harmed or where I harmed myself by participating, but for the most part, I was relatively safe. Um, but then at the age of 32, um, most of my friends, I have to say, are straight, almost all of them. And I had a very close friend, and he was talking to me a lot about his sex life with his partner. And I felt like I couldn't participate in the conversation because it had been so long since I had intimacy with a woman. And I thought I should try that again because I said, well, it can't be worse than with, with guys. <laughs> so I, yeah, I actually, I went to a brothel to see if I could have still have sexuality with women. And shortly after that, I fell in love with a very wonderful woman from Prague, from the Czech Republic. And we were in a relationship. And yeah, since, since then I was, I was looking forward to ha hopefully to having a family that was, well, that was over 10 years ago. Um, but I knew that I wanted, I had to, I uh, wanted to move to Scotland. So um, at the age of, I don't know, 34, 35, I moved to Scotland. So what, why did you and come here? What, what was it? it oh, I just decision. fell in love. I, oh, okay. I, I fell in love with Scotland. Uh, I when I touched Scottish soil for the very first time, I immediately knew that I would move to Scotland. Again, oh. it felt like a calling. And then I moved to the far top of Scotland, a place called Durness, and I started building my house. So I oh. built my house with my own hands. It took me one and a half years, and since then I was hoping for somebody, for the right girl to come into my house, and um, I'm still working on that, let's put it that way, uh, still working on that. And in the last few years, I, was, I became very involved with men's rights issues. Um, I, okay. was, I first became aware with these issues when I was in the military, because a lot of my... 
um, comrades, they lost their children in custody battles. So I, and when I, when I realized that I could have a family of my own, my first or second thought was, I don't want to lose my children in a potential custody battle. So at what point, because obviously at the beginning of the interview, you said, well, you were going through that point, you said yourself asexual, but then you're kind of, I mean, at what point did that change? Your head change because you're dating a woman from Prague? Did you start to see that you're more heterosexual or how did you, did that, nothing changed? <clears throat> uh, to be to be honest, I would say that nothing changed, really. I would still say um, I'm relatively asexual with a tendency towards men. So I'm still visually more attracted to men than to women. I just don't see the point in a relationship. And I do really enjoy intimacy with women more. And uh, But that is not that doesn't go through visual things. So I, I can see the most beautiful woman and I can appreciate her for her beauty, but if she doesn't have a good character, then I'm not really attracted to her. Whereas with men, um, I don't care about their characters. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, as you know, and that's how we met each other in the last um, three, three, four years, four years, I became involved with the Scottish Family Party and I ran as a candidate for the Highlands and Islands for the socially very conservative Scottish Family Party. So how did you, well, I came across you being interviewed by Richard Lucas. Uh, that's where I, and hearing your story a little bit. How did you meet? Richards, how did you get in? I mean, obviously you're living in pretty much out of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, in the top of Scotland. So how did you suddenly come across? Uh, I mean, you're into man's rights and things, and which is good, and we can talk more about it, especially what you're into now, but we'll come into that. I mean, how did, who, did Richard contact you, or did you? how did you meet? So Richard Lucas from the Scottish Family Party he did videos about LGBT indoctrination in the in schools, and I'm actually, even though it sounds weird with my with my past, I'm actually quite a conservative person, and I I think that the destruction of the family, divorce rates, um, and what's happening in regards to indoctrination in schools is breaking the back the the backbone of society and i'm very worried about that and i saw some videos that uh, richard was uh, was putting up on youtube and i subscribed to his channel and his newsletter and i saw that he was organizing a scottish family party meeting in aberdeen and then i drove uh seven seven or eight hours um through a snowstorm to Aberdeen and there were very few people I think we were only three or four people uh, but yeah that was my first interaction with Richard and I was like I'm, I'm here to support you because he the Scottish Family Party is um, often demonized as um, uh, homophobic and stuff like that and I thought having a former gay former porn actor in the party might might be beneficial for the Scottish Family Party. So knowing, obviously, the people who know of what you've been through, uh, as in in the gay industry, how do the people who are in still in the, not necessarily the industry, how do they are kind of the LGBT folk? Are they kind of a lot of people? Well, let's just say 
scenario of a cult, when you leave a cult, they kind of get all, they, they might be nicey nicey when you're in it, but as soon as you try to leave, you, they're literally as nasty as hell, basically. And how have you found that? Have you found it as a that backlash with you technically not being there anymore, and now being technically, in a sense, against it? So when I first uh, I first came out in a interview with uh, with a woman called Sue, she interviewed me um as a as a porn actor and i mentioned that i was in a relationship with a woman now and i didn't think it was a big issue and i received a very big backlash from that and people um told me that um i should die um so there were quite a lot of um attacks and very very nasty messages from former fans that uh, really didn't appreciate that I that I started dating women. There were also people that supported me and that said, "Hey, he's just doing what what he's happy with." And I would say that over the last ten years, there were always some voices that supported me, some voices that uh, that were against me, the stronger my opposition became against the LGBT community and the more conservative my views became, obviously, the stronger that the attacks started to get. Um, but I don't blame them. I'm, I'm currently at a point where I'm really fighting against the LGBT lobbies or the LGBT community, not against individuals. That's very important. I'm... I, I I have compassion and love for all people. And, for example, two days ago, um, a gay couple came into my shop and wanted to buy a piece of my art. I'm an artist. Wanted to buy a piece of my art for a friend who is apparently a huge fan of, a fan of mine. And we had a really nice and long conversation. And we also had a conversation about my views now and how critical I am of what's going on at the moment in the LGBT community. And they agreed with some of the things, they disagreed with other parts. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad and I'm thankful that there are still people from that time of my life that see me as the person that I am and know that I deeply care and that I'm a good person, even though... I, in some ways, attack the the lifestyles that they live, um, but I, I do it out of care and out of compassion. And most of the people from back then, I think, they still know that. So tell us about your, well, you, you met Richard, you kind of got involved in the Scottish Family Party, you stood as a candidate. Last year was last year. Yeah, last year. no, this year. I think it was. This it was year. So it was this year. Crumbs. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, the pandemic is going to be everyone out of, out of sync. But um, so the, this year you stood as a candidate. So that must have been. Did you get? How was your sort of? I mean, you campaigned. You're out handing leaflets out. You're doing. Uh, you're literally every here, there, and everywhere. So, I mean, how, what was your kind of general? You turning up, people obviously hearing, knowing, knowing who you are, 
uh, knowing where you've been and you're out Tribeca candidate, what was your kind of general response from the public who and when you while you were campaigning? Interestingly enough, I would say that our society is so progressive now, has normalized um, certain certain things so much that I think it was easier for many people to to fully accept that I'm a porn actor than me standing up for family values and and being a conservative. So I think there was, in some ways, there was more backlash to me being conservative in the Highlands than being a porn, gay porn actor in the Highlands. I had some attacks, some emails, uh, threatening emails. I had one person who actually knows me personally. He um he he became verbally very aggressive and very insulting and that was while i was standing next to two police officers and they're like oh my god what what was that and they're like yeah get used to it if you're on if you're on the wrong side of the the agenda that happens to you um but overall it was it was positive i did go to a lot of doors talk to people and overall i do enjoy that um, but it was still during Corona and during lockdowns, um, so that was an issue. So tell, you did have knowing, knowing you for a wee while now that you've uh, you did talk, tell us that you had started going to church. So tell us your journey into going to church. Mm-hmm. Sure. By the way, if uh, somebody if somebody in the chat has any questions. Uh, feel free to ask me. I'm I'm always open to questions. <laughs> so I I was always. Ta- am I taking your job away? Probably, I think you are. But you carry on. <laughs> I'm just. I usually try. And, I do see people who come in because I'm doing. When if I do pose a podcast, I do like to. Even though I'm doing using video, but uh, I, I try and. Uh, yeah, I like to. I do. I try not. I keep the focus. That's what I try and do. But I do see people. But it's good to see people who are watching, whoever they are watching around the world. Okay. Um, but yeah. But so tell you. Yeah, you you decided to go to church. Tell us about your journey into that and what why. Yeah. Considering you were your so spiritual, I, but not quite. I was. Yeah. I was. I was. I was. I, I was baptized as a child and we did go to church on christmas but i did not grow up in grew up in a religious family by any stretch of the imagination but i always felt a very deep connection to god and but i never i never went to church uh, like every sunday and when i moved to durness in scotland i thought that that would be a good time to start but people warned me and they said oh maybe you shouldn't go to church the minister is very much fire and brimstone and he would probably not approve of you um but then that minister retired and a new one from south africa started and i thought here's my chance and i from that point on i started going to church and i went pretty much every sunday since and that minister was very good i liked him a lot and then we but he had to move away and we got a new one um andrea she's she's okay i think she she's good for younger audience but i prefer 
Now I would actually prefer more old-fashioned, um, a well, bit more uh, Bible-focused approach. I'm going to ask a, a slightly controversial question here, which I know people might find in this day and age. Okay, I'm guessing the church in Darnes is a church of Scotland, I'm guessing? or yeah. uh, Right, okay, so what's your view, even though technically in the Bible what it says, what's your view of a male to female minister t- teaching the word? Now I'm saying more ma- man or woman, because that, that can't be easy. I know the church of Scotland in a sense, a lot of I'm going to say this. They are a lot of the they've got they're less Christian than they are Christian these days, and that's a shame. So, so, so if if there was a female minister who did not bring feminism or liberalism into the church and would actually preach the word, then I wouldn't mind a female minister. I just I have never met such a female minister. So I have encountered quite a few very good male ministers. Um, I have only encountered female ministers that were, in my opinion, suboptimal um, because of their political political agenda and social views. Um, and I'm not very, and to be honest, I'm not happy to say that, but it's similar to when I was in the military. We had women in the military. And before I worked with women in the military, I was all for women in on the front line because, yay, equality. But I always ended up carrying two backpacks, my backpack and the backpack of a woman. And after a while, I, noted, I realized that physically they were not capable of the same things that most of the guys were capable of. And I also realized that um, if there was actually a risky situation, the male soldiers would always try to protect the women um, instead of doing their job. So, and yeah, in the church, I, I was all for female ministers before I actually experienced quite a few female ministers. And now I'm, yeah, I, I would say I'm again, I, I'm not, I'm not in favor of female ministers now. So, looking obviously, I'm guessing Durnet, the only church is there only one church in Durness. Is there other churches around that you can go to, or there? So we have the Church of Scotland in Durness, and then we have the Episcopalian Church down the road, and they had a very good minister, uh, Father Nicholas. He, he was great, and he retired, and then they had uh, a new minister, a woman, and we went to the first service that she gave and she immediately she started talking about the patriarchy and oppression and all that stuff and i actually stood up and i told her that i don't want to listen to that anymore the thing is i'm the only man who still goes to church here so i'm the only man in church in both congregations apart from the um apart from the husband of the minister he he comes up and yeah i was going to say what's your well i was knowing now the church of scotland is kind of more pro gay now and they accept gay marriage and things scotch episcopal is also more pro gay accepting gay marriage and they become what's your view of why these churches and even the methodists now are accepting it why are they 
losing sight of the the Bible doctrine to more follow the ways of the world? Why do you think they're going down that road, especially when you're getting more? Well, as you see, you're basically getting well. It doesn't matter. You can be anybody can be a minister, but they're losing the sight of the true aspect of what it is to be a Christian. Okay, I am going to answer that in two ways. The one okay. is the. I, I think that I think that most of them think that they act compassionate, so they don't want to discriminate, and they think that to love means like like Christian love, to to love one another means to not discriminate or judge others. That's the the the, the nice interpretation of, of what's happening but i would say what's really happening is that uh satan has taken over the ch- church so i know that sounds incredibly harsh and i'm not saying that these ministers are intentionally um following satan or so i'm not saying that at all i think these people are very caring and try to do the right thing um but i don't think they are I think that it's the the duty of the church to help people not to fall into sin, not to encourage them to stay where they are. But I have to say, the church made some immense mistakes in the past because they treated gay people like the plague, but they didn't treat adulterers or yeah straight sinners in the same way and i have to say a straight person who uh, commits adultery i mean that's as much a sin as homosexual adultery i would say um and i think the the church made a big mistake in the past singling out certain sinners and not calling out all sinners, which is 100% everybody of us. We are all sinners. Yeah. And there was a hierarchy of sinners created. And instead of judging the sin, the church started judging the people. And I think as Christians, we have to love everybody, including and especially the sinners. But that doesn't mean that we have to excuse their sin. Okay, so knowing, well, you obviously know that Richard is a uh, he is a Christian as well. How have you found dealing with him? Because he's more evangelical. He goes to a different church in Edinburgh, and he's more evangelical, more of a Christian. How have you found getting to know him on a Christian basis out with the political side? I would say that Richard and I we have we predominantly talked about political aspects going into the private because of my background, obviously. Right. But our conversations were usually not connected to faith. Okay. They were more connected in overall lifestyle choices and statistics. So he would he would cite statistics why certain lifestyle choices are smarter than others. Okay. So if I was to ask you now, okay, now that you've leading into the way that you've been dabbling into sort of church over the last few years getting in, in, in where you are where would you, looking at what you know and what you stand for i mean where would you say your faith is or would you say that you have committed your life to christ yeah but that was that was 
from the day that I was born, I would say. As I said, I had a very okay. strong connection to God, and I um, that was what protected me all through the through the sinful years of my life. Um, I think the reason why I never took drugs, why I didn't have sex for most of my, well, for a very long time of my adult life, I think that was my, the protection through Christ. And I, I do not want to compare myself to figures from the past and in the Bible, but you have, you have a lot of people that went through dark phases in their life um, finding Christ and but I think in some ways they had to go through these um, dark dark places to actually have a voice and I, I couldn't do what I'm doing now calling out certain things if I hadn't experienced these things in my life. Obviously, I'm not advocating that other people should do the same thing just to just to collect experience. No, don't. <laughs> so that you've all, so well, we'll get off a little bit. You've also but one thing you well, just because a lot of people appreciate people who are watching this uh, around the world. Um, basically, you are now uh, obviously a conversation we had and a connection with somebody through Clubhouse, uh, a woman called Fran. You were you were more you're becoming starting to be a, an advocate for women in their in like domestic violence side of things. Uh, you want to talk a bit more about that? You said you just said women and oh, domestic must, violence. Is that you were talking about? You're you've been getting involved with that sort of. I think you've been. I think it's domestic violence or domestic abuse. You've been getting yeah. involved in. That. Yeah, you you started to go into. Well, you've been getting into that recently. What? What what made you choose to get go down that road to support women regarding the domestic abuse and violence side? Well, I, of course, I, I do support uh, female victims, but my focus is actually specifically male victims of domestic abuse oh. um, because because I I encountered quite a few cases uh, of male victims and they did not get the same support. And still don't get the same support that female victims of domestic abuse uh, were and are getting. So, for example, in Scotland, the the percentage of victims of domestic abuse that are male are around between 35-40% of victims are male. But they only get 1% of the funding. And there are, for example, no shelters in Scotland for male victims of abuse. So that's, that's my focus. And I... I started focusing on that because I deeply, deeply care about justice. And as I said earlier, I looked into men's rights through friends of mine that lost their children in an unjust custody or family, uh, family law setting. And that's how I started looking at domestic, uh, sorry, at uh, men's issues. And by doing that, I also stumbled upon domestic abuse as an issue that affects men, where men just don't get the support that they they need and that they deserve. And I'm not saying about like the same support as women, but comparable support. That would be nice. Yeah, and I've been working very hard in that area for the last two years. I've funded, I founded an organization called Gender Parity UK. 
and we look into legislation that is discriminatory against men and boys and we try to change that and that goes through many areas from education where boys are falling behind uh, homelessness where the vast majority are men but uh, women get preferential treatment um, and I, I do think of course that women need the help but unfortunately men are overlooked other areas are drug addiction, incarceration, as I said, domestic abuse, suicide rates, mental health problems. These are all issues that I'm looking into. So, looking at the now, looking at the way now, I'm going to do an edu education system at the moment and how they are technically okay, they're indoctrinating a lot of the views of LGBT. Q, X, Y, Z, whatever you want to call it, uh, these days. Um, you are, they're adding, indoctrinating schools and kids, and with the recent news of trying to force kids at four years old to choose what gender they want to be, and also the new design of the flag, and it's kind of forced on you, and whether in every shop, every company seem to be endorsing these the rainbow stroke where we're trying to go oh, you, you yeah. lose track what's your view on that and how it's even though with be, looking back and what you were in and now and how where your life is going now what's your view on these things well can you tell you so so much when, when i have children i would not send them to school anymore I, I would do homeschooling. I don't trust the educational system anymore at all. And I find the indoctrination of children, both in regards to LGBT issues, but currently also in regards to environmentalism, deeply, deeply troubling. Um, in regards to environmentalism, I find it very troubling from a mental health um, perspective because I think they're bullying children into becoming... Um, anxious and depressed because of like existential permanent existential threat which uh, children really shouldn't be suffering from um, especially when they live in peace times um, and in regards to lgbt issues children are developing and everybody's going through a process of finding their own voice when they go through puberty. That's absolutely normal. And confusing children during that crucial time and bullying them and pushing them into identifying as either LGBT or non-binary or whatever, I think it's, it's deeply disturbing. And I think it takes advantage of the most vulnerable young people that have certain that already have certain issues when we look 30 years back a lot of young people especially girls were suffering from bulimia and anorexia 15 uh, 15 years later the same kind of girls were suffering with borderline personality and were hurting themselves and cutting themselves. And I believe that it's the exact same kind of young people that now identify as transgender. They're not transgender. They, they just suffer with identity issues. And the difference is that with bulimia, anorexia, and with borderline, personali borderline personalities, these were all issues that were identified as issues where the kids need help. Now, with this transgender trend, 
they're not seen as issues, but they're seen as something that kids should be encouraged in. And I think it's we are we are raising a generation of deeply damaged children. And I think when we look back in time, um, this will go in, yeah, as a, as a huge case of of I would say global child abuse. Obviously, it's not global because like. In, in more religious countries, um, that's not happening. But in, in all of the Western world, I think we are experiencing this, this child abuse of the educational system, obviously connected to social media as well. So we're going forward, let's say, going forward, I'm sure we could do talk a lot more in what you do. And I think you have got i'm sure you've got more to talk about and um let's where these where you are now what's your okay we're kind of pretty much out we're at the tail end if not back to normal in a sense already after the last uh, from this pandemic um where what's your kind of goals going forward do you have a sort of Right, I want to achieve X in the next five years or the next two years. What's your kind of what? Would you sort of what's your what are you planning in your head, and where do you see yourself going forward? <laughs> okay, um, I I'm afraid I'm gonna leave you with doom and gloom. <laughs> okay, that's after that's, that's good. <laughs> I I think that we're that we're heading towards so uh, societal collapse. I think that Western society is about to collapse in one way or another and that we going to be faced with extreme changes extreme challenges i'm very worried about what's going on currently with the government overreach from most countries in regards to lockdowns mask and especially vaccination mandates um we see a very strong increase in young people suffering with infertility here in the west so i think there are a lot of huge huge issues already happening and i think we are heading towards a uh, uh, economic collapse as well in parts during um in in parts due to the lockdowns but i think in parts that collapse was already happening before COVID started, and I think it might be used as a cover-up. Um, and I, I'm not saying I'm looking forward to the collapse, but I think when when people are faced with real problems and real issues, and when people actually have to work together to survive, um, then issues like transgenderism and feminism and um, LG, LGBT issues are less important all of a sudden. I, yeah, I know that's, that, that might not be what you want to hear, but I, I've got the, I've got the sense that we're in for a very, very rough ride in the next couple of years. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get ready to be as independent as possible and having access to food and stuff like that and i don't want to sound like a total prepper no. because i'm not i'm not so, but I, I think when when we look at what's happening currently 
um, you would be a fool to think that it's going to be um, sunshine and roses in the next couple of years. Okay, apart from well, apart from maybe the uh, the fourth or fifth apocalypse happening in the next couple of years, uh, uh, what about you? What about uh, apart from okay, your goals in that sense? What family. about family? I want, yes. I want family. I want family. I want. Uh, I want. Let's say as many children as possible. I know I'm getting older, but I'm 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 yeah. working hard on that. So yeah, family. That's that's the most to, important. Thing. You you see you you want to get married and have kids basically. Absolutely, absolutely. There you go. So you want to have that and be an advocate for family basically. Well, I I think if the best thing you can do for this world, and I know environmentalists are gonna hate me for that, but I don't care. I've been an environmentalist for the last. 30 years, but not that insane environmentalism that we're experiencing now. Um, I think the best thing that you can do for the world and for society is have kids, raise them well, be a good father, be a good partner, be a productive part of, of a society of your choosing. And yeah, build stability, build structure. So that's, that's, that's most important for me. That's good, and then obviously you're, you're you're early. You said you're you're early forties. I'm on my um forty six, kind of mid to late forties kind of thing, if you want to call it that. <laughs> so that that end of the scale, um, but let's yeah. So that's good. So where can people, if people want to reach out to you, in a sense of looking with what we've talked about regarding somebody who has maybe been in the industry that you were in, but maybe struggling when it comes to mental health or su maybe one of suicide thoughts or anything re reaching out to you, where can people reach you if they just want to talk? Because by if they've been listening to this, wherever they might be in the world, might want to go, wow, I want to chat to this guy and because I need the help, but I need some guidance. I need to an exit plan to get out of this whole shenanigans that I'm in. Where can people connect with Philip Tanzer? <laughs> well, I can tell you, but that comes with a with a warning because I'm a horrible communicator. I'm I'm usually very very bad at responding. Um, but people can contact me on Twitter at Philip Tanzer One. That's Philip Tanzer spelled P H I L I double -P, P T A N Z E R and the number one, Philip Tanser one, or on Facebook. I'm also Philip Tanser on Facebook. Um, but if somebody sends me a friend request on Facebook, it's very important that the person sends some comment, uh, something like, hey, I would like to get in touch with you regarding X, Y, Z, because I still have people from back in the days that um, try to befriend me because of my porn industry. And right. yeah. Not that interested. Okay, but you are as understandable. So, look with what you've spoken about, and the those who are watching and have watched, or maybe watching the replay, whether it's, we have been using a video, but we will take the audio for this to uh, go out as an, on the podcast for those who want to, um, to yeah, want to listen to this. Uh, we want to say thank you for the people who have watched. And we mentioned who have commented. There's Jacqueline McKeever. Here's Eugene Fletcher. Tammy Francis, uh, Marlene Stuber Greisler. So um, she likes her Guinness. I know that. Um, but we'll go. <laughs> uh, 
and Krinda DG Technique from on StreamYard and on StreamYard, sorry, uh, Twitch. Had, um, and Eugene, thank you for the last comment. He said that Eugene Fletcher said thanks, Philip. Uh, he asked, well, he asked what your here's a question. He asked what are your views on the church's role in a conversion therapy for LGBT people. Also, will you describe yourself as bi? That's an interesting question for you. <laughs> I, I don't like labels, to be honest. I it was hard for me working myself out of the of the gay box, and I do not want to be in the bi box um, because. For me, my attraction towards women and towards men is very, very different. And I'm absolutely fine with just calling myself Philip. <laughs> I don't need any more labels. Um, in, regards, in regards to your question on conversion therapy, I'm very much against the ban of conversion therapy. And when people hear conversion therapy, they they think it's electroshocks and all of that and obviously that's nonsense that's that's a thing of the past and i would obviously be against that in regards to therapeutic conversion therapy i think there should be both uh church like religious conversion therapy but also um non-religious conversion therapy or sex therapy in that area because for some people some people feel uncomfortable with their same-sex attraction or their transgender identity and they want help but they are not religious and it's very difficult for them to find help because most con so-called conversion therapies are from the church um, in regards to both church conversion therapy and non-religious conversion therapy, I think it's absolutely crucial that the ini the initiative comes from the person. You need to... Bless you, Fraser. Thank you. <laughs> you need, if you are not ready to change your lifestyle, I think there is no point in pushing you towards it. Um, I think advice should be allowed to be given. Um, and I think it's very important that conversion therapy doesn't start for underage people. And that includes conversion therapy from the LGBT community, trying to push young people into LGBT lifestyles. But unfortunately, that's what we are seeing. So I, I would say get both gay and Christian conversion therapy out of children's lives. Uh, children have the right to grow up um, protected. Do you think we're? Do you think society these days? Just to add to that, do you think society is becoming very cultish? As in, basically, as a cult, if somebody's involved in a cult, it's very sort of do that, do this, do this, do this, my way, my way, my way. Do you think it's um, very a cultish? becoming a very cult, cultish culture that it's all do do this do this my way and because of the lack of because of free speech that's getting kind of you can't really have an opinion anymore you can't even say i disagree with this without thinking you're x or xenophobia or you're you're anti this you're anti that i mean well i i think i i think that 
whoever holds the power will abuse the power. I think in the past we have seen abuses of power from the church. We have seen abuses uh, uh, of power from governments in the last century and obviously in many countries also. Well, no, (laughs) it is last century. Um, And... I think at the moment the progressives and the the lefties and the LGBT community and feminists, they hold the power and they abuse their power. I think when conservatives are in power, they, they tend to suppress um, progressive views. And when the progressives are in power, they tend to oppress conservative views, which we are seeing right now. So I think it's a constant power struggle. Overall, I think that conservative views are more beneficial for the stability of society though um, that's why I I think what's going on at the moment is very dangerous okay so we're gonna go get you to say a, clo- a closing thought I wanted before and say thanks to everyone who has been listening to Philip uh, yeah if it resonates with you in any way uh, for kind of as I say it's a been a very open and challenging topic something it maybe might have felt a little bit uncomfortable but it's what people is everyone's got a story and have gone through different ways different things in their own life and to as i say to come out the, come out the other end in a sense to more turn their life around and to help others and what as you knowing that they've seen the darkness and they've seen the what people go through within this industry and to come out of it in a way of saying, oh, no, this is, and, and to stand against it in a sense. Uh, we want to, um, yeah, it's, you're going to, this is the, this is the true facts. This is the way it is. And this is the, this is Ramsey Unleashed going beyond borders. We keep it real. We keep it raw and we keep it true, true to life. And at the end of the day, it's to challenge people and to, so you can be challenged and hopefully, be inspired by what Philip has talked about in some way uh, to reach out in your own life. It might change your life to be that person to go and help others in a similar situation. Thank you, Philip, for being on us. Would you like to give us a passing, uh, a passing thought or something to end the show on or your your final word? Um, Protect, fight for freedom, fight for freedom and fight for what's right. I think we are in a time where we actually have to stand up and and reach out to each other and and stand up for freedom. Otherwise, we're going to lose it very, very soon. Um, I don't think it's a time for cowards any, anymore. So join the fight. <laughs> there we go. Well, for those who are watching around the world, and thank you, and thank you for commenting. Uh, as I say, we are, this will be in the podcast, and you can re-listen to it uh, on Ramsey and Going Beyond Borders via Podbean, uh, and you know, that goes out on iTunes as well. So, want to thank you, Philip, and to everyone. Uh, we will be with Philip as some, we'll catch up with Philip behind the scenes uh, of this uh, as we end the broadcast. And uh, to everyone who's uh, been watching, thanks again, and uh, have a good night, and speak to you soon. Bye.